Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildbo's most shortest work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Urban Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Judgment 16.10. It's an exciting episode full of a lot of dramatic action. But before we get to that, let's talk about our 24-hour live stream, which will also be full of a lot of dramatic action. Yeah, in fact, because it's exactly, well, no, not quite exactly. It's two weeks away. It's like two weeks and 12. It's two, it's two weeks away. They don't know when we're recording. It's exactly, it starts in exactly two weeks. No, I was, I was actually going from when it's going to come out. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, it's two weeks. We're rounding. Um, yeah, two, two weeks from today. And uh, it's too soon. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really snuck up on us. I, I had the realization earlier today. There's only four chapters that I haven't read in this story. Mm-hmm. Like, that's insanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So uh, the you know segment of of the schedule that we wanted to highlight for today's episode is um we're, we're going to be recording the last episode uh, to kick off that live stream. Yeah, the live stream starts with the recording of our final episode. Yeah, so you'll get to see us actually record and, and you'll hear all this nonsense live. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, you won't, you won't just get the trimmed down version and miss out all the extra spicy jokes we take out. Um, but I guess the other, the other important thing is obviously as the live stream's going on uh, and, and as we get donations for Kids Undercover, uh, we'll be announcing those. So if you're there watching us record live and you make a donation, uh, you'll probably get snuck into the actual episode. And yes. uh, then you'll be immortalized because we will be eventually releasing that on the uh, the actual the... feed. Yeah. Yes. Um, so if you want to immortalize yourself as a part of this podcast forever, all you need to do is tune in at the start of the live stream and donate some money. Mm-hmm. The more money you donate, the more immortalized you will be. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll get more excited the more you donate. And so yeah. we'll probably spend more time on it. Yeah, we'll probably say your name a few more times as well. <laughs> it's uh, one name drop per dollar. So. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if someone donates $20, that's going to be a boring 10 seconds of audio. I'll tell you that. Um, anyway, let's get into the episode, shall we, Elliot? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, this is Judgment 16.10. So we obviously ended with the rest of the the, the whole crew, uh, Blake, Mags, Paige, Peter, Green Eyes, and I feel like I'm missing somebody, but I think that's it. Um, um well, there's the goblin, but I don't think well, he's out yet. Yeah, yeah, he'll come out later. We'll talk about that, of course, as he does. Uh, they they reach the top of this tower. They see Barbatorum uh, as Johannes, I suppose. Faisal the dragon, um, and it's uh, it's time for the fight to kick off. And this chapter, Barbatorum kind of slowly stands up and just kind of drinks in the attention of the new t- people on the tower. He clearly is a bit of a drama queen. He's really loving all the eyes on him. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's something very human about his first movements as well. Like he's sort of sitting there with one leg propped up on the other and he, you know, puts Mm. him down and just casually stands up. I don't know why that felt so human to me, but I think that's like it feeds into like the opening here really establishes, you know, this is the barber, but it is also Johannes. Like I think in the, even in the last chapter, with all the stuff about Johannes still being in there, I was kind of assuming it was like a situation where Johannes was inside his own mind, but being like held down and completely kind of mm. separated and and kind of isolated away. Mm. Um, but it's, of course, it's it's a bit more complicated than that. Like the barber's smart. What he's done is he hasn't just subsumed uh, Johannes. He's 
like taken basically i think the traits he, he wants and is either killed or or silenced the bits that he doesn't so he you know he's enough to qualify now as johannes as well but it, it it still feels to me like it's the barber mostly yeah i don't know how how i feel about it in terms of is it the barbatorum who has subsumed and consumed elements of johannes or is it just barbatorum pretending to be johannes but i don't think it really matters they're, they're not really uh, different in this circumstance um I think it's a bit obvious to point this out, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's a really fun image, like Barbatorum slowly standing up and the framing of Barbatorum with Faisal's angel wings behind them. Like, it's classic <laughs> stuff. Yeah, the angel wings are just such a nice little touch. Um, I think my favorite bit is how he's just kind of dangling the shears from one finger and they're getting hit by the dragon's like bits of fire and they're just kind of like soaking it up. And Blake like takes in the imagery that they're just you know absorbing the energy. Uh, it's it's just so powerful uh, as mm. an image. Yeah, um, yeah. But to to go to jump back a bit to what you mentioned, like with the whole Phasal Angel Wings thing, I, I think that as well. You know, we've just established that there there is this human Johannes element to the barber now. Like he he's the barber with Johannes bits that I think he has picked out. Um, yeah. The but there's also Faisal in the back. So it's like they're fighting this thing that is angel, demon, and human, like to, to varying degrees. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's so fascinating that it's like this triple combo of all three. Um, particularly because I, I find the stories I'm usually drawn to are the ones like um, like something like The Legend of Korra or even Avatar the Last Airbender that tend to talk about balance and and having like a bit of everything is is better rather than mm. you know b- being some sort of extremist yep and, and that's like the opposite of what's happening right here like w- the bad guy is the one who's got bits of bits of all three dimensions to this world in them and it's really <laughs> that that's somehow made things worse yeah i don't know i mean blake and rose also are kind of part other part human part demon they're, i don't think they're part angel <laughs> but they're doing okay in terms of balance as well. I don't know. I think, well, I think they're they're just embodiments of change and it really seems like where we're sort of heading is this idea, at the moment, the way things stands, it seems to kind of be change is the the one aspect of of these three pillars that can have hope. And and so really it's the one that's the the most important. Um, And and that's, you know, and I think that's sort of captured by, you know, just having our super elements of change be the goodies here. Um, but I, I guess we'll see. I don't know. Again, like I said w- last episode, hopefully Faisal's going to fucking do something at some point. Um, we'll see. We'll see indeed. Pro- prove, prove me wrong, Faisal. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so Blake basically looks at and thinks about how Barbie is acting and realizes he's kind of slower and more methodical than when he was back in the library and he was kind of just chasing them down endlessly, Terminator style. And it makes Blake realize, like, he's acting like a practitioner. This isn't just going to be a kind of fight. This is going to be a practitioner duel. There's going to be theatrical, you know, dramatic reveals, twists, turns, <laughs> all the stuff you want from a final showdown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This really sort of sets the tone for where things are going to go because it's not... I mean, I guess it's what we've just been talking about. He's not just a demon yes. now. He, he's got he's got the Johannes bits that he's sort of cho- chosen to have and uh this is going to be a much more complicated fight because he's got all the best parts of johanna's working for him as well yeah um 
So Blake takes a few steps forward and kind of begins his ideological attack on Barbatorum, kind of talking about how, no, you're not Johannes, you're a demon. And um, Barbatorum has developed an interesting counterattack to this, which is uh, he can talk. So he just says, <laughs> no, I'm not, <laughs> which is a pretty good strategy. <laughs> yeah, I, there's, I mean, there's a lot of bits in this chapter where we're going to talk about where it feels like the, the whole gang gets together and they're like, you know, oh yeah, we can do this, and they and they want some sort of ideological attack, and the barber's just kind of like, no, yeah, no, he's not really. He's pretty good at this part of being <laughs> a practitioner, right? He he takes to it quite well. Yeah, and I, I mean, Johannes was always good at it as well, so that's that totally yep. makes sense. Um, I really love this bit where Blake, when Blake is sort of like, oh my god, you could talk. Um, the barber just sort of responds, I could always communicate, and, mm. and there's something so powerful and otherworldly and <laughs> patronizing yeah. about that and that that really sets the tone for where things are going to go from here um it's just such a perfect sort of invalidation of Blake's surprise um like and and that, yeah again like we're just going to kind of see the barber slamming these guys uh continue yeah it it really does well doesn't it um Barbatorum really <laughs> Uh, basically takes takes them down uh, with words um interestingly blake points out the lack of echo in this room and we we touched on the thought the idea that there's no atmosphere in johannes's domain back when we first got here or you know in the barbatorum's version of johannes's domain and this kind of contributes to that it's like this oppressive silence kind of vibe that's really uh it's like the perfect vibe for this place it's like the the removal of things that you would expect to see as normal yeah, and and I think that fits in so well with what we've just been talking about with Johannes and the barber. You know, th- this place is still following the rules. There's still humanity to it, but it's it's still very other and kind of off and wrong as well, which fits the barber. Um, and, and again, I think it it adds to this sense that we were just talking about of in in this whole battle of words where Blake and co feel so weak in comparison. Like mm. when the barber talks without this echo, it sort of adds this weird gravitas to what he's saying. Whereas everything the people say, it kind of makes it feel a bit, a bit more feeble. Yes. Yeah. He, he has, it's kind of part of what the, the tricks that he's employing to give himself a commanding presence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> one of the first things he says to the group is Blake. He said, Mags, Page, Peter, Green Eyes, listen to me, it's Johannes. And, like, <laughs> that must be the least convincing sentence of all time, right? <laughs> like, no no, uh, no, thanks. Um, and he, all, he, he also calls out Page, Peter, and Green Eyes by name, like, pretending that Johannes has met them for more than, like, 30 seconds once. Yeah. It's so perfect that Mags is the, like, first person to just be like, nope, because, I mean well you know we know she's seen this kind of bullshit before like there's some fairy walking around going hi it's me maggie holt well Um, it just occurred to me has johannes ever met green eyes because when they're in the library green eyes wasn't there she was outside right she was upstairs he might have met her beforehand at some point um i they i swear they might they might never have actually even met which makes this even less convincing (laughs) yeah yeah maybe um I I think like the other thing that struck me about this is like yeah the first time I read it like I I sort of got this vibe of like you know him being like listen to me it's Johannes because you know like possession gimmick one oh one is yep. pretending to be the person who's being possessed yep. trying to trying to get in some words before they lose control again yeah but it's totally not that like there's so many full stops and commas in this like it, it was totally not 
um, you know, this this paddock sort of, oh, you have to listen to me. It's it's clearly just like a very Barbary voice being like, yeah. listen to me. It's Johannes. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's it, a confident yeah. demon, that's for sure. Yeah, like, I mean, like, that, that's the thing. There's never a point in any of this where the barber f- really feels like he's on the back foot. I think there's a few instances where maybe he is a little bit, yeah. but he's very good at, at kind of bouncing back from it. And just the assuredness in this, like, as you said, it doesn't even really feel like he's trying to convince them. It's, yeah. It's like he's just it's, sort of... He, he knows he's right, and he's just kind of monologuing a bit to them about why he's correct, you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it's like the It's Johanna statement isn't even really to trick them. It's just he's kind of throwing it out there because he can't lie. So it's like, it is Johannes, and that's just like a little bit of something to kind of throw them off kilter a bit. It's not yeah. even really meant to trick them. Um, like, there's just so much self-assuredness in everything that the barber says here. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, he's talking about how he's Johannes, and uh, he's given up on humanity, basically, and has been convinced that the demon's point of view is actually, like, really legit, really logical and moral, and everyone should just get on board. Why not? um yeah let's go into this a bit more i I think into a bit more depth as as we get Mm. to the to the main meat of what the barber starts to claim here sure um i do though just before we move on want to call out the one line um blake sort of says back to to this where uh he says you said we're a horse with a broken leg breaks heel I think I'm speaking for most members of humanity when I say that I'd much rather be alive than gone. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that's good to hear from Mr. I I was about to, like, kill myself regardless of how this fight goes at the end of the last chapter. Um, and I mean, the barber immediately calls him out on, on that later. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't don't know. It's just, it's funny because that's, that's both so Blake and then also, you know, so not like Blake is the sort of person who will just throw himself into danger, but also he is kind of always doing it to stay alive. I don't know. Like, I just, I love yeah. that line from Blake. Yeah. You can't say I'd much rather be alive than gone after you've also kind of made a pact to kill yourself for <laughs> Rose. Um, yeah. The group kind of puts up an admirable effort to kind of disagree with the barber, but he's clearly like, he's oozing theatricality here, right? And he's clearly got the spirits eating out of the palm of his hand. And even I, as a reader, there are times where, not that I agree with what he's saying, but I'm just kind of like... You get caught up in it, I don't know the right word. Yeah, you get caught up in it. It's, It's not awe or anything. It's just kind of like, you just listen to it, you know? Yeah, it's... Um, the barber's yeah. very captivating. Yeah, yeah he's absolutely. very captivating. Yes. There's this line. We, he has so many perfect lines. Lines like where Blake says something about how the barber's under, underestimating them. And he says, underestimating you, I made you. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, shit, man. You're so right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, like I, Something I had to keep sort of doing as I was reading this was like stop and, and challenge what the barber had just said to myself because... As as I was sort of hearing it, you're sort of like, hmm, yeah, that's that's a fair point. And then as I thought on it, I was like, no, that I think that's bullshit. But as you said, just as he's sort of going on, he you just kind of get drawn in, um, like he's he's speaking so well. And I mean, I yeah. think that's what makes it so deliciously evil. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you can't help but I mean, it's it's the trait of all kind of sociopaths in humans, right? That, that they can really be quite convincing, and we see you know elements of that in the barber's speech here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess while we're talking about the barber underestimating Blake, because I think that's something he's doing with all of humanity. Um, and, and we'll get there, but uh, 
still got my fingers crossed that the fact that Blade and Rose have been um, trading personality cards uh, mm. will, you know, take be an important factor. Okay, we'll see. Um, Barbatorum confirms some sad news for us, which is that Isadora is dead. And I think I had the thought of, well, he's a demon, maybe he's just lying, but it doesn't seem likely, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, no, I mean... If 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 the barber is capable of lying right now, that would undermine sort of a lot of what yes. the power of this chapter is about. Yeah. Um. So him being able to make state a statement like that is just again that's another one of those things where it was just like oh fuck like he's he's so on top of it right now. Yep. <sighs> yeah. It, it seems insurmountable. Um. Actually, the one mistake I think he makes is he tries to force a bit of a wedge between Blake and Green Eyes, and. It doesn't quite work. I think their Green Eyes' devotion to Blake is too high to be messed with by Barbatorum. Yeah, I I agree with the it doesn't quite work though. I think the Barber still really gets what he wants here. Like the bit where he 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 kind of does like Alistair's signature move, which is to just kind of make a statement and be like, "Prove me wrong." Yeah. Um, which is obviously you know we've talked about that's so powerful for the spirits and Blake. I mean, I have to agree with the Barber. Blake, Blake does a fucking weak play here to kind of try. Yeah. Try yeah. and do that. So, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. This it's just like there were so many moments in this chapter. Where I was just like, I don't understand how they're meant to even begin winning. Yeah. Um. It, <laughs> it's it doesn't seem possible until a shining hero descends. <laughs> um, uh, because Barbie does make another big mistake here. He talks about how there's only one person who can speak for humanity here, and that's Peter. And so Peter steps forward and basically delivers some fucking sick burns on the barber. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, yeah, this is so perfect. Like, you know, the whole thing for bringing Peter is we need a human, and, and I was sort of waiting on this to come together. And and this is such a perfect manifestation of it, particularly because, uh, and I think we mentioned this when Peter was chosen as the ambassador of humanity. Of course, it had to be Peter fucking Thorburn that yeah. is, is the ambassador of, of, yeah. of humanity. Yeah. Um. You know, it's not an actual hero. It's not some like Mason the Benevolent type good karma person. It, it's just this kind of piece of shit who perfectly encapsulates that while things are grim there's hope that they can get better and like i mean we've seen that from peter he's actually been quite nice to people a fair bit like yeah. the, the last few chapters he's had like a couple of good moments with page um which you know if he can have them with page then <laughs> like there's hope for everyone yeah um, definitely so yeah like i i yeah this bit's so great of course like it had it had to be paid up because he's the worst <laughs> he's the worst candidate for it so he proves it just the best yeah no of course it would be peter because consistently we've been building up that he's actually really good at this talking thing right um yeah yeah he's such a delight and and the core argument the core that he talks about is comes back to the idea of change and humanity kind of always striving towards making things better for themselves and everyone kind of jumps in and agrees with this and it actually seems like this is the first argument that actually scores a point against barbatorum like he he's put on the back foot yeah absolutely this is where he starts to actually change tactic and and he's about yeah. to get into the, the the real meat of his sort of ethos um and so we'll, we'll dive into that but um yeah obviously you're right peter's argument essentially boils down to like yeah the past sucked but only some stupid demon would think that that means that the future's gonna suck too like we can change yep. that yeah no it's a valid point right it works yeah 
Um, so Bobby talks about the future and what's in store for humanity. He knows that the end state of the world is that the abyss will continue to grow and eventually consume everything. And after that, demons will kind of do the same. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, w- let's talk about this because I think this is this is the, the meat and bones. Mm-hmm. Um, so the barber's argument is basically that, yeah, as the abyss grows, thing like the change is just going to spiral. And what the abyss does when it kind of fucks things up too much with change is they fall through the cracks even further. And that's where the demons are lying to kind of consume it. And he's basically saying, hey, look, at the end of the day, the abyss is going to take over. You're all going to die and end up like in an out of control change engine that will spit you down to us anyway. So I'm just going to put you out of your misery early. Yeah, exactly. Um, And look, that's obviously very depressing, but uh, the team responds to it fairly well, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, and as well, I, I actually like... This is one of those things where when the barber said it, I was like, I guess that makes sense, actually. Like, if humans are the embodiments of change, and so is the abyss, as humans grow, it makes sense that the abyss is going to get some more leeway as well. Yep, yep, um, we talked about that idea. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, the, the current trajectory of the world may well imply that the abyss is going to continue to grow and, and outpace things and, 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 and make it all go bad, but, like, I mean, it's also that the abyss and the humans are the embodiments of change. Like, we talked about how... The cool thing about practitioners and, and Blake and Rose is that you, they're proving that if you change humans, um, you can change their trajectory. And it's, it's kind of like, can't, can't we do that with the abyss? I mean, I think there's been implications that the abyss is such a shithole because that's kind of how it learnt to be. Yeah. Like, there's still this idea of, well, through the power of human belief and hope, maybe they could make the abyss not a shithole. Um, it might take a little bit of time because, you know, there's a lot of unshitholing to do. But yeah, I like I don't know. It's just that thing where it's like if you give up now, there, there's no chance. And and I think that that's kind of where they go. Well, that's where Blake kind of goes with undermining this this argument. Yeah, and I mean it's right, right? Like Blake's totally right. Basically, he he talks about the idea of like you know my past was fucked, and I I I outgrew that, and I didn't have a future before, and I outgrew that. So why can't I do it again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like Blake is the worst person to make that argument to because like, and, and the barber should know this because Blake's whole thing was like, everyone kept telling him, Hey, you're destined to die. You have no future. In fact, your future is going to just be pain and suffering. You should end it now. And Blake's whole thing was like, no, go fuck yourself. Like, yeah, and I, then I he succeeded, <laughs> right? Yes. He succeeded in defying that. And so, of course, if Barbara comes to him and says, hey, actually, you know, round two, you are definitely going to die again in the future, Blake's, he expects Blake to just say, oh, well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas, like, yeah, like Blake's just going to be like, no, fuck off. I, I beat this shit once. So I can do it again. Um, and, I mean, this is really, I think, the first major pivot that Barbara has to do. Like, we talked about how Peter kind of scored the first hit. But again, like he changes tack to this and Blake just kind of shoves it to the side as well. Yeah. And it works. They win this portion of the competition, right? They actually out argue this demon. So good work, team. Yep. Um, but you know, things don't end there. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh that's only phase one of this boss fight, I suppose. Um, Barbie turns back to his old ways of torture and violence, and uh, the fight properly breaks out with the dragon entering the fray and basically breathing fire on everybody. <laughs> and, and so something I want to start talking about here as we move into the rest of this fight is 
I never had the sense at any point in this chapter, except for maybe the ending of that argument, that the barber wasn't just kind of getting what he wanted. Yeah. Or like, at worst, maybe having to follow through on, like, plan B that he already had ready to go. Yeah, definitely. Like, the way Blake is set up to, to be forced to charge him here just feels like it's all according to plan. Well, yeah, I, it seems like the barber might, that might necessarily, not necessarily have been the plan for him to lose that argument in that way, but it definitely feels like regardless of what the specific plan was, he has enough tricks up his sleeve because that was Johannes's whole deal, basically, that he can just deal with whatever they throw at him in his element like this anyway. Yeah, like this feels like a plan B that was ready to go um, the whole time. Yeah. Um, so the dragon starts to breathe fire, and, uh, basically the only safety Blake can find is the safety that Barbatorum has made for himself, which is standing behind this pillar. And so, again, Blake basically charges headlong into, at the barber, which he's done so many times, and it's, like, always a mistake. <laughs> how, how many times has he done it? I, was I feel like if... it's two now. He will, I, I'm sure he's done it in the library. Yeah, yeah, at least once in the library. Is if my... not more, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I was just wondering if we could set up a 3B. Like, if we're still trying to play King of the Hill, like, the third time Blake might be able to rugby tackle him off the building or something, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, true, potentially. Um, so, yeah, they have a bit of a scrap, and Blake doesn't do horribly. He gets cut a few times and almost burned, but he also lands a pretty good blow on Barbatorum, but, you know, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it does a little bit, but um, just as he's about to get, like, an even better one, the barber just kind of wusses out and has Faisal. Yeah, like, teleports off. To... Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So, Barbatorum is functionally immortal here, right? He can't be hurt by the hyena. So, basically, they're shit out of luck <laughs> at this point. Um, but there are stakes for Barbatorum. He can't just do whatever he wants because any damage he takes makes him less Johannes. And while that's not a win condition, it does remove his a lot of his power. And so... It's, there's still stakes, even though this is an immortal character that we haven't seen being able to actually be hurt. Yeah, you're right. It gives you that glimmer of hope of like, oh, you know, it's not hurting the barber, but if we can chip away at the bits of Johannes, that will weaken the Johannes benefits the barber is getting. And I mean, of course, like, of course, Blake is the one to think of this strategy because like we've been here for the last eight arcs. We know that that's how it works. Um, yeah. Like, we've watched him lose bits of himself with every scratch and scrape um, for, for, like, eight arcs now. So, uh, like, I love that he's kind of turning that back on, on the big enemy right here. Yeah, and, of course, you know, we've seen him inhabiting Rose's body, and we've seen the fact that if he takes damage, someone can get through to Rose and hurt her as well, which also seems to kind of double hurt him. Um so yeah. it's set up that the way that this works, that they can hurt the body underneath by getting through the shell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so Barbs uses his own personal teleporter to, to help him escape a blow from Blake, and Blake basically moves to help the others, kind of theorizing that Barbie's probably going after them. Um, yeah, and so I guess let's talk about Mags's new friendly shield goblin. Yeah, the shield goblin is great. Uh, <laughs> the idea of a goblin in a in a suit of armor with a big shield is so weird. Like, <laughs> why does this goblin have a suit of armor? And what it made me think was, Mags calls it cowardly, and it makes me think that this goblin was cowardly and so thought, well, the best way to protect myself in this goblin-eat-goblin world is just to fashion myself a shitty suit of armor and a big shield. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. 
and I mean, also, like, it, it's it's noted that it's a real shit suit of armor as well. Yes. Um, because but, of course yeah. it is, because it's a goblin. <laughs> um, but uh, like the way they treat this poor goblin, like I know it's a goblin, but like <laughs> Mags has it like burning its arm off to to shield them from the fire, and as he's like screaming out in pain, she's like, "Oh, shut up, you coward!" Yeah. Like <laughs> the poor thing, I kind of felt sorry for this goblin, which is, um, <laughs> I guess, I guess where we're at now. Yeah, I mean, there's worse things than goblins out there, so you can feel empathy for them, I think. Yeah. Um, so Blake climbs up on this big pillar. He's kind of clambering around the rooftop of this tower in order to give himself a vantage point. And looking around, he sees Barbatorum and the dragon heading towards his friends, and he realizes, like, the only thing that's actually vulnerable in this situation right now is the dragon. So <laughs> he just kind of jumps onto it, hyena extended, you know, for the second time in this story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of of course, I had to be the dragon. I love the way this comes together with Blake standing up there, and he's like, "Well, I'm a tree boy again, but like, fuck, the only thing that there is to fight is the the dragon. So yep. here I go." Yep. Um. And so yeah, he he jumps off, and I really love this sentence. Actually, he thinks I leaped with all my strength. I flew, for lack of a better word. That's a fun little throwback to last time Blake fought a dragon when he had wings. Do you remember that? For about a, a few hours, one night he had wings, and then he kind of ripped them off a bit, and then he like gave up his entire body. And that feels like it was so long ago, but in universe time, it was probably like an hour, if that. <laughs> oh, maybe maybe a couple. I want to say more like four or five hours. How long has maybe. he? Because he lost his body when he started possessing Rose. How long was that ago? Oh, that might have been like an hour or two tops yeah so it wasn't long ago when blake full-on just had wings <laughs> yeah I, yeah i'd say like six or so hours ago maybe um it, not very long is the point yeah yeah definitely um yeah it's it's a fun way thing to do to fight this dragon again um so blake jumps down on it and quite easily uh, gets rid of it he jumps into the cut that barbie made into it and stabs it in its heart and he's kind of like oh cool that was easy then he notices that Barbatorum has finished off the cut that he made earlier, splitting this dragon in half. And of course, he's just killed one half. The other half is fully alive and fully fast and furious and here to burn him. Well, and he killed the half that was that got all the weak shit. Yes, basically. the weak dying half. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's a total like, fuck you move from, yeah. from Barbatorum. <laughs> it's, it's a total cheat, right? Like, and can he just do this forever? Like, every time Blake kills the dragon, it just gets, what, like, half as powerful, if even that, because he can kind of cut out the things he wants to cut out. He can basically just bring this dragon back as long as he's a little bit prepared for it. Yeah, I guess he can, if he can get the cut in just before it actually dies, um, yeah, he could keep on doing this, but... Um, Pretty bold. Y yeah. I, like... Again, th this is something that I think he set up. Like, the reason the dragon was mostly already cut in half yes. was, I think, to make this sort of play easier to do and probably yep. to lure Blake in here. Like, it's yes. just, yeah. Because, <laughs> of course, now Blake is surrounded by the barber and a fully alive dragon. Yeah, exactly. Like, as I said, there's, there's barely a sense in this chapter that they had the barber on the back foot at any point. They maybe caused him to, like, wobble a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> he was never really on the back foot, I don't think. Yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, we basically complete this chapter with Blake having really achieved nothing except putting himself in a more dangerous position <laughs> and now the tower's on fire. 
Uh, yeah, that that about sums it up. Oh, oh, that actually, him and Rose have now lost bits of themselves to being on fire because they yep, got dragon true, fire on true. them. So that's fun. Yeah. So it's really just that in this chapter, their position has just slid backwards a bit and nothing's really been gained. So I'm, bad luck, well, guys. We gained a bunch of juicy lore. I'll take that Oh, yeah, that we gained stuff, of course. <laughs> I, we gained the enjoyment of a, a very fun chapter, but Blake gained nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, so I suppose we're in store for three more chapters of Blake losing body parts and then the story's over. Well, I mean, you just kind of described the rest of the story, too. I mean, we've just read 150 yeah, true. chapters of Blake losing. Of story, yeah. <laughs> um, that's the end of our discussion on Judgment 16.10. But in this, our final week where we have more than two episodes, we wanted to dive into a piece of interesting uh, supernatural history, and the relevant piece we've chosen today is dragons. Yeah, um, I mean, because of the dragon in the chapter, that's what, that's oh, what we Oh, is that why? I was yeah. Sure, yeah, I get it now. Um, um, so what have you got for us, Ruben? <laughs> so dragons are something that everyone kind of knows a little bit about, I think. Um, they're pretty popular yep. in folklore all around the world. So I've we're going to bounce around a bit. Um, yeah, you've heard of them. Good, good, good. Um, let's start off by talking about where the myth of dragons came from and how is it so widespread? Um, the answer to that is we don't know. Uh, it's 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 too widespread and there's too much mythology for us to really have a solid origin. But there are a bunch of theories that people have, and I'm going to talk you through some of them. Okay. Uh, first theory is it is a way to explain dinosaur fossils that people found. Like, if you find a dinosaur fossil, like the bones of a giant uh, creature, some kind of lizardy creature, <laughs> how, do you, how do you explain that, you know? Um, you make up the story of something like a dragon. So that, that yeah. kind of makes sense to me. I mean, I guess if you've grown up around like lizards and you kind of know what their skull shape looks like, and then you yes. dug up a T-Rex skull, you're going to kind of be like, well, okay, there's giant fucking lizards. Yes, exactly. Um, things like uh, possibly whale bones as well. So obviously because whales are these underwater creatures, you know, humans haven't really been able to map underwater things that well uh in history and so we really didn't know a lot of shit about whales except we found their bones sometimes and that would be a very weird experience as well yeah okay okay i can see that um other possibilities are just some big lizards that do exist that people saw and thought okay what the fuck's that so like a giant crocodile is a good example there's a crocodile called the nile crocodile which was which was around for a while and got up to five meters long, which is fucking insane. Um, so that basically yeah. just is a dragon, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say the Komodo dragon as well, but that's like in one small part of Indonesia, yes. I'm pretty sure. So yes. um, probably didn't inspire like, you know, Western European dragon. Yeah, I, you know, it's hard to know. Uh, there's other bigger reptiles, like not bigger than Komodo dragons, but other large reptiles like the goannas in Australia, like big lizards. And so it's kind of, if you see a lizard and then you see a bigger lizard, the next thing to do is to think, well, how big does it get, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that's kind of the final thought about how this emerged. It's just humans thinking, what if it was a snake but big, right? That's a dragon. <laughs> They are very widespread. The first depictions of dragons are in kind of ancient Mesopotamian art and literature, so they've been around for a long time. Uh, yeah, okay. This prototypical dragon creature uh, was a this Mesopotamian thing called the Mushkush, the, the Mushkushu, the Mushkushu, um, which is 
kind of a, a, a chimera style thing, I think. It had eagle talons, like the front limbs of a lion, and like a snake-like tongue. Um, so it doesn't sound that much like a dragon, but this is the prototypical supernatural creatures that kind of then went on to become dragons in uh, Mesopotamian mythology, at least. Yeah. Um, I tried to specifically look up whether dragons being cut in half was like a trope that Wabo was playing off of. But when you Google <laughs> that, all I found was pictures of the insides of dragon fruit, which is not really helpful. So I didn't think that that was a real thing. <laughs> um, a few other fun dragon facts. I, I, I looked up uh, the kind of Eastern versus Western styles of dragons. So Western dragons are similar to what we see uh, in this dragon in Pact and, and, you know, like Harry Potter style dragons and Lord of the Rings style dragons and shit. Um, it's, it's very traditional dragons. They love hoarding treasure. They breathe fire. Often they're quite animalistic. Um, D and D style mm. dragons have become more intelligent, but this is a, a trait that you would normally find in Eastern style dragons, which are usually wingless and quite intelligent things. Um, and in order to contrast them more, I looked up who who would win in a fight between a Western-style dragon and an Eastern-style dragon. Of course. Uh, and I found some very interesting answers. Uh, there was one user on, Qu- on Quora who talked about it and came up with saying it was the Eastern-style dragon. And uh, the, the basic reason for this was Eastern dragons uh, were seen as much more like deity-like. Uh, they they okay. they were worshipped. They had shrines built to them, stuff like that. Um, and actually, they were usually kind of akin to like gods of storm and water, kind of like Poseidon in 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 Greek mythology. Um, so you're comparing a kind of traditionally what is kind of a mindless beast that breathes fire to something that is like worshipped and very intelligent and and like a deity. Um, so for that reason, uh, Eastern dragons win the fight. I think. Yeah, I mean, sounds like it to me brains um, beats broad i mean we're kind of we're kind of banking on that for the next three chapters yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and not just that like they could uh like conjure storms and shit often um so they had some cool kind of x-men style powers that i think would give them the edge yeah um, okay i think the last thing to talk about is i'm just going to loop through some dragon facts that i found on a totally legit website that was called fun dragon facts for kids so here's some fun <laughs> dragon facts for kids for you, Elliot. First of all, a dragon has zero to four legs. Um, I guess if it had six, it would just be an insect. Well, and so obviously, uh, Eastern-style dragons have zero legs. Western-style dragons have four legs. The thing I like about this fact is it assumes there's some one, two, <laughs> or three-legged dragons chilling out there, which I think is quite funny. Um, here's another fun dragon fact. It just said optional wings. Not really sure what that means. I guess they can take them off if they want. Um, yeah, well, like Blake's old wings. Yeah, exactly. So just like Blake, there's this, you know, Pact is a story all about mirrors and reflections, right? And Blake is a reflection of a dragon in that he has optional wings. Um, we cracked it. Yeah. The, the final fun dragon fact that I really liked is this was the fact. It just said, a dragon has special powers. And it didn't elaborate <laughs> any more than that. So so that's that's uh, fun facts about dragons. Zero to four legs, optional wings, and special powers. I, I do feel very educated after this, our final monster corner yeah. for special fun facts. What a good one dragon. to go out on, right? Yeah, new <laughs> facts all around. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, that, that was great. Thanks, Ruben. Um, so, yeah, uh, that, that brings us to an end for 16.10. Um, if you want to get your answers in for our discussion question, you've got about two days from when this is released to, to get those in. Uh, just a reminder, that discussion question is, what would your domain be like? 
Yeah, and if you're coming to the end of this podcast and you're thinking, man, I wish I could really share it with more people right now at the end of the show, you've probably waited a little bit long to do that, but you still can. You can go to places like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave us reviews, and that's a great way for people to discover the show. Um, If you have caught up and, and you sort of, you know, you don't have much deep impact left, even if you're in the in the future and you're catching up on the backlog, uh, you can head to doformedia.com and there's a bunch of other podcasts for you to get addicted to once you've finished ours. Yeah, um, tell us some. Well, there's We've Got Ward. Um, you've probably heard of that if you're listening to this, I think. What's well, no, real? never heard of um, it. And in fact, We've Got Ward's actually running a fan art contest, which we haven't plugged yet, uh, which is really bad because they're including Pact in that and they're doing a better job of plugging the Pact <laughs> oh, fan yeah. art stuff than we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do some Pact fan art. I, I always want us to win the, that fan art contest, but there's never yeah. enough Pact fan art to win. But this time I think I feel good about it. So go do some Pact fan art and we can show those We've Got Ward's who's really good. Yeah, fan art. <laughs> uh, do better than we just did. Um, yeah. So the theme for that contest is acceptance. Um, so yeah, send in your acceptance acceptance themed packed fan art. Yep. Um, there's also uh, a Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. That's where you know the money goes in and the doof shows come out. It's as simple as that. <laughs> it's it's a complicated machine that turns money into content. Um, <laughs> And actually, we, we have a bunch of new rewards announced. So if people, uh, if we get more patrons on the Patreon, we will have all kinds of new cool rewards to to share. Yeah, they're sort of like do- donation goals. So if we hit a certain number of patrons, um, we'll we'll do some stuff. So there's some really cool ones. Uh, we're only about two or three patrons away from uh, launching our first YouTube series. It's going to be mm-hmm. looking into some, some gaming stuff. So uh, I'm very excited for that. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones. There's some do the right thing uh, stuff that's absolutely fascinating. Uh, more fan art contests relating to uh, Harry Potter's We Want More. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. so go check it out if you're not a patron for for more info and see how see what you can help bring to pass. Yes, you can find all that at patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. And while you're on patreon.com forward slash doofmedia, why don't you check out Wildbo's Patreon as well, which is patreon.com forward slash Wildbo. Uh, because similar to our complicated machine that makes content from money, he has one that makes content from money. But he got the earlier version that only does words, while ours does audio as well. Oh, yeah, and, and video soon with the, with the YouTube yeah, series. Yeah, exactly. We've got all the newfangled models, so make sure you go and give Wildbo some money so he can upgrade his Patreon machine, and maybe he'll start making videos. I don't want to make claims not like a, that that's for not him. A, that's not a, yeah, yeah, that's not a <laughs> commitment or anything. That was just a joke. So, I mean, still do give him money, and you never know. He might make videos, but we don't have any, like, insider information or anything. <laughs> also, he makes plenty good word formulas yeah anyway, why do you so... want videos from wildbo just be happy with the stories that he's already making you're so goddamn greedy i swear to god yeah um so on that note we'll see you on monday the 24th of february as we dive into judgment 16.11 heck yeah see you then